Hello and thank you for joining us. My name is Pastor Paul at Lole G. Uh, whether you're watching this in local cable access, YouTube, or even our website, we ask that you take a look at the links below, see if there's anything that interests you. And if you'd share this with others that you think might appreciate it, we'd be grateful that you do that. We've just begun this series on the book of Psalms, and the, the book of Psalms is, is about the songs of heaven being sung on earth. It's the tunes that King David began to write that was carried throughout the centuries and all the way up into the day today, there are people that we would call psalmists or songwriters that are writing songs about praise to God. And the last time that we, we met, we taught in the last series and the, the, the last message that we had, we looked at all the different styles and all the different genres. Some of them are just simply praises. Some of them are laments. Others are talking about Jesus. And all of those things are listed in the notes tab here if you're looking at our website. And you're welcome to get that on our website as well. But but the point is, is the psalm I want to teach you today, if there was a goal that I had, if there was a purpose, if, I, if you were to ask me, Pastor, what, what do you, why should I watch this? What do you think God wants to give me? Or what, what do you think you're trying to give me from God? It would be a gift of a song that you would be able to sing that would set you free from the prison of your past guilt and shame. I want to teach you how to sing a song, how to write a song today from the book of Psalms, Psalm 63, that would help you sing grace over your life. Because the truth of the matter is we need more of it. We need more hope. As in the time that we're living, we need hope. And even when things are going good, we, we need to know that no matter how bad things may be, there's always a tomorrow that can happen where everything can change for the better. You know, in this, in this series of Psalms, we've been looking at all the different styles and, and I mentioned that a second ago, but like, this is a difficult Psalm because Psalm 63, the one that I wanna share with you, is almost like a mashup of different versions. It's an imprecatory psalm, which is one that talks about justice from God. God, send your justice. King David has a, a line for, with that style in there. And then he's got another one where it's an, a lament, where he's like, God, I long for you in, in, a, in a dry place. And then all of a sudden he starts praising God. This is a difficult psalm to place because really it takes all of the styles and mixes them together. So let me read it to you. And if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to do that or even open up the tab online here. Psalm 63, the superscript, the backgrounds, before it even gives you the verse to the song, it says this, a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judea. Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary Behold your power, I've beheld, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be steadfast with fat and rich foods. Uh, those, that's called uh, quarantine eating right there. <laughs> when I remember you upon my bed I, I, and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. In the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy, just like a bird, a baby bird under its mother in its nest. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. And then here he switches into this imprecatory thing about God, bring me justice, protect me, help me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals, but the king shall rejoice in God. 
all who swear by him shall exult for the mouth of liars will be stopped. I want to pray that God would prepare your heart to receive the key and the pen for you to write a song, a psalm that sets you free from the prison of your guilt and shame as we look at the story behind the song, the song against the story, and that you take this pen and begin to write new verses in your life by God's grace. Father, in the name of Jesus, right now, I pray your word would be life and freedom and forgiveness and hope, especially for those that thought that there was none left for them. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. This is really the approach that we've been taking to this whole series. When you look at the Psalms, some of them give you this background to it that tells you the story behind the song, the superscript. And then, uh, then we take the song and put it against the story. But some of these don't have that. So we'll come to a couple of Psalms where we're just going to let the song sing itself into our situation and into our life. And, you know, the, the, the truth is to be told here is that uh, not everybody is called to be a professional singer, but everybody is called to be a person of praise. And that's what God felt so strongly about that he set apart an entire section of the Bible, the book of Psalms, to help you and me learn how to sing our way through difficulty, how to lift ourselves up and lift God up and realize that, that God is higher than the problems that we lower ourselves to and that there's always a hope of a better future and that there's always a song that embraces the difficulty of where we're at but helps us to sing into the hope of a future of where God could bring us. If you look at Psalm 63, you can actually put it a little bit further down the road from the one we talked about last week, Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is written by David after he is confronted by the prophet Nathan. And he's confronting him because David took a man's wife, Bathsheba, from Uriah, and then plotted to have him murdered and covered the whole thing up in secrecy. So really, that psalm last week, and if you, if you weren't, didn't listen to that or if you didn't see that, I'd encourage you to read Psalm 51. If there is a struggle or an issue in your life, guess what? Every one of us has them. There's a place where you need God's grace and forgiveness. That is a song that will teach you how to sing repentance, how to get right with God. But if Psalm 51 is a song about singing repentance in your life, then I would say that Psalm 63 is a song that teaches you how to pray, praise, and grace through the fallout and consequences. You see, Psalm 63 is written by the same king, David, several years after all of the events that happened here. The, the events that it tells us, at least that we know initially, is found in the superscript, and it reads like this, a psalm of David in the wilderness of Judea. I go to Israel on a regular basis. It's a part of my education. It's the love of my life. It's the core of, my, of what I study and do. I've been, through, I've been through that land more times now than I can count. I love taking people there. And in fact, we had a trip that was gonna go in March. Now it, it's rescheduled uh, before the year's out. So we're excited that that's still gonna happen. And some of you that are listening to this are like, yes, I'm on that trip and I'm glad that it's happening too. But what you're going to see in this picture that you're looking at here right now, and what you're gonna see for those of you that go to Israel or maybe in the future come with us, is when you are in the wilderness of Judea, it is desolate. 
it gets no more than four inches of rain. This is pretty much if a landscape that you could put the word desolate, empty, barren, hopeless, waterless. In fact, that's how David begins his song. He says, Lord, I long for you. I thirst for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Well, what's the story behind this psalm? There are some things that tell us, for instance, at towards the end, he says it, he calls himself king. So we know that David is king at this time. We know that he's where he's writing it in the wilderness of Judea, which literally you can go to Jerusalem. I could bring you there right now. You could put your left foot. I can't bring you there now because they're not letting people travel there. But you could put your left foot on grass and your right foot on dust. It literally, all of a sudden, it goes from a place that gets as much rain as Seattle and New York City or Boston on one area with your left foot and then your right foot for the next many miles. It gets less than four inches of rain a year. This is the place that Isaiah talks about, the wilderness. This is the place where it talks about where John the Baptist describing an empty, barren place, a, 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 per, a place where there's no habitation, a, literally a, a barren, empty place, a voice crying out in the wilderness, not this exact wilderness, but, but this is that thing. It's, it's, the, it, it's the metaphor of hopelessness, of helplessness. Why is David as king writing about this? Because the sin that he committed in 2 Samuel chapter 15 now begins to ripen with consequences. In simple, what's happening? The prophet Nathan goes up to David and he sees that he's committed adultery. He's plotted murder. He's had a man killed. He's taken Bathsheba for his wife and he's pretending like everything and everyone should be okay with that and everyone should just overlook it. I am so grateful that I have friends in my life that grace my faults when I admit them and, and, and see them and they hold me up when I'm weakened by them. But if I ignore them, they challenge me. I have some friends that start their conversation with me like this. You know what your problem is? It's a difficult way to start a conversation, but that means I'm not seeing something. Nathan the prophet knew David was not looking at God himself or the situation right. And he walks in and he tells him this whole elaborate story of how a rich man took a poor man's sheep, killed it. And David's sheep are dear to his heart because in this wilderness, he led flocks for most of his young adult life. And David says, where is this man? I'm going to have him executed. And Nathan looks at him and says, you're the man. You're the man. Was it not enough that I made you king? Was it not enough that I gave you all this? Were you not satisfied with what I gave you that you had to take Bathsheba and kill Uriah? And right at that moment, David says, I've sinned against the Lord. Nathan looks at him and says, the Lord is not going to take your life. But he says this, that you, what you did, and in fact, let me read it to you. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 12. You did it in secret. But I, will do, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. David's murder and adultery had a consequence. Nathan confronted him. Nathan got a hold of his heart. God got his heart back. But there were consequences and fallout. If Psalm 51 is about how to, how to sing a song of repentance and get right with God, Psalm 63 is going to help many of us, if not all of us, how to remember that though we're in the wilderness of consequence, that God can cause the wilderness to blossom. Your difficulty that you might be in right now 
can change the second that you allow your God to step into it. That's the heart of this. You know what? The story behind this song, this, at the end of the day, no matter how bad you may feel that you are, how wrong you feel you, your sin may be, how far you might feel from God, you should never let your circumstances steal your joy. Nobody can keep you from God's best except yourself. Don't let anyone, you, don't, you cannot let, don't let quarantine steal your chorus. Don't put your life on mute. You need to learn to praise him. Church, in church talk, we say it like this. You need to praise the Lord. You need to praise God. You, you, the, the whole idea of praise is, is not so much for, for everybody else. It's, it's, it's something we need to do. There are many people, they do lip syncing, right? When you're in church and, and many of us that are missing that now, you know, we would just love to come together and hear a band, a band play live music and join our heart and our voices with people. And, but we can't do that right now. But that doesn't keep you from praising God. That doesn't keep you from becoming a psalmist. That doesn't keep you from penning a, a psalm of praise that can set you free from your prison of consequences and guilt and shame. There's always a better tomorrow to be had, always. And David starts off the song like this. He says, God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. Listen, first thing I want you to, to hear, if you're going to write your way out of your depression, out of your guilt and out of your shame, God, you need to know that he is your God. Listen to how David writes it. God, you are my God. What, is God confused? No, he's not confused. He, David's reminding himself. Sometimes you and I, we need, to, we need to wake ourselves up and remind us, wait a second, God is real. God is for me. God is not against me. And I say that to you even too. God is for you. He's not against you. And he said, God, you are my God. He is your God in the wilderness, uh, whether you created that desolation or people around you have brought difficulty upon you. It doesn't matter what is going on around you. What matters is what's going on inside of you. And God can be the God in the shadow of your shame. But you need to know God is your God. And if he's not your God, you need to pause and pray to him and say, God, be my God, be my Lord, be, be Lord of my life. Christ, forgive me of my sin because my wilderness of consequence and sin, it's all around me. I can't hide from it. I'm not going to ignore it, but I need you to enter into it. And it says, earnestly, I seek you. Earnestly, I seek you. God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there's no water. Uh, I was a Bible college professor for a little over a decade. And through the years now, many of my students are all over the world. And from time to time, they'll call me up. Recently, uh, there's one group in a certain part of the world. I'll just keep private here because the internet's a, a broad place. Uh, this group is working with a group of people, many of them are from countries where the gospel is illegal. Like I can't talk about the book of Psalms. I can't say the name of Jesus. With, if this was being broadcast in those countries, everybody would be thrown in prison uh, or worse. Well, they had been building relationship with a particular woman and they just sent a text to me and said, Pastor Paul, would you be willing to explain this situation to this person? And as I hopped on, I, be, I began to FaceTime with this, with this precious, precious woman that this wonderful missionary who, by the way, church, 
your faithfulness in giving, we have not shrunk back from a single dollar of giving to missions. We just recently helped give money to pay rent for a church, for a pastor. You are making a difference. We are making a difference together for God. And this conversation, you, you having me as a pastor here made a difference because this call went all the way to the other side of the world. A Muslim woman who she says this, she says, when I hear about Jesus, I love him, but my religion says that if I say yes to Jesus, I have to say no. What, what do I do? And she began to ask questions about justice. She, we began to talk about how in the, in, the mid, in the part of the world that she's from, that there are men that will force themselves upon women. And, and if these women don't, don't yield to them, they've been known to take cups of acid and throw it in their face. And she began to ask questions like, well, what about, what about these, the, where's the justice for this? And this conversation literally went on for two hours and it ended with a conversation I, that it, it ended with me looking at her and saying, you are so close. She said, I, I, I love hearing about Jesus. My heart, I love him. I wish he would come back. I want him to set things straight. And I said to her this, I said, listen, he wants to be your God. And all Jesus said was this, follow me and I will make you. Listen, you might have had a season in your life where you began following Jesus, but you pulled back because you thought maybe you're too sinful or your situation, life got comfortable and you ignored him. There's nothing like a good wilderness and a difficulty to put our focus back in the right direction. When we're not distracted, sometimes the, the luxuries of life, we forget how blessed we are in the country we are. And I think this, this uh, stay at home mandate has, has caused a lot of us to appreciate things that we took for granted, but nothing will get your attention like a dry, difficult hour. And that's exactly what God did in David's life. That woman was thirsty for God. David said, God, I thirst for you. I long for you. Look at verse two. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Friends, there's not enough words in the English language to describe God's power, let alone the beauty and weight of his glory. See, I'm assuming that you really know what the presence of God is. I've grown up in a Catholic context and a Protestant context, and I've come to find that at the end of the day, all Jesus wants to be is Lord. He doesn't want you to say, I wear this label and that label's no good. This isn't branding of who's closer to God. Either you need to be able to sing, God, you are my God. But my question to you is this, have you beheld his power and his glory? Because I have, and here's the thing, in the difficult hour of your life, in the difficult moments of my life, my mind can either stay trapped in that desert, you can either stay dipped in your depression, you can just fall into the pit of despair, just like Pastor Dylan spoke a few weeks back about uh, Funkel or Kunkel, a particular uh, Holocaust survivor who became psychologist. He said the people that didn't make it through the Holocaust were the ones that, that gave in to despair and couldn't think that there was any possibility of hope. Listen, we're not asking you, God's not asking you, David isn't asking you to ignore the reality of your environment. 
it's dry, it's difficult. But when you're in that situation, you don't want to just put your eyes on that. You need to look elsewhere. And what David does is, is he looks to his past and he looks to his God and he says, I remember you. I looked upon you in the sanctuary. I saw your power and glory. I remember when I was a student at Bible college, I had about, I, I had a, a long period of time where I said, I want God more than food. And I went a long period of time. I did not eat anything. I prayed. When it was time for breakfast, I prayed. When it was time for lunch, I didn't eat. I prayed. When it was time for dinner, I didn't eat. I prayed. I said, God, I long for you. I thirst for you. I want to know who you are. I want to see your glory. I, wanna, I need your power in my life to set me free and to make a difference in this world. That's what our church is about, that you know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. But if you do not seek God, and call him your God. And if you don't get a glimpse of his power and his glory, it will just be a dry wilderness of religion for you. But if you see the power of God, like I did in that as a student, we did that. And then all of a sudden it was like out of nowhere, God showed up. People were weeping. There was literally a week where we couldn't even have classes because every time we, somebody would open up a class in prayer, people would begin to be moved in their heart by God and his presence. And someone would begin to sing a song. And we began to lift up songs like the entire book of Psalms. I remember that went on one day from seven in the morning until two in the morning, 2 a.m. And out of nowhere, a guy on a bicycle comes into the building in this obscure campus in the middle of nowhere in Rhode Island at two in the morning. And he comes in with tears pouring down his face. And he says, I don't know who you are. And I don't know why I'm here. All I know is, is I was thinking of taking my life. And I, something told me that if I came here, I'd find God. And all of a sudden, it was like 30 students gathered around him and began to cry with him and pray with him. Hey, you see, that's what, the, that's what hell would want you to do. That's what the devil would want you to do. That's what depression would want you to do, to say that the wilderness is your lot for the rest of your life, that you made your bed, now you sleep in it. You created this environment, now you, you deserve to suffer in it. No, Jesus suffered for you. He wants to teach you a psalm. He wants to teach you a song that pulls you out of the prison of your past guilt and shame and can make it out of the wilderness of your consequences because God has more for your life than just what you're looking at. I remember a friend of mine, Deb Griffin. You see, you always hear all these stories about people being healed and miracles. I, I'm a little bit of a cynicist and I, I have enough cynicism in me when people say stuff, I'm kind of like, really? Really, one of my new favorite sites is Snoops, where I can find out if something is uh, urban legend and lie, or if it really, really is something that happened. Although sometimes that 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 site's not exactly accurate either. But I used to hear all these things about people saying people have blind eyes opening and deaf ears opening, and people getting out of wheelchairs. And I didn't grow up in the church like some people in maybe watching this. So I was like, really, really. And I remember I had a friend, Deb Griffin, who was was started off with a debilitating disease until eventually she was in a wheelchair. And I watched, I saw his power. I saw his glory as somebody reached out their hand and said, in the name of Jesus, Deb, get up and walk. Listen, God is not a past story or an old hymn book, the book of Psalms and God's word is living and active. And he doesn't want you to die in the wilderness of your sh or in the shadow of your shame. He wants to put a new song in your life and he wants you to see his power and his glory. About 
two months before this situation happened. I don't know why. I just turned to the community. First service, I said it a little bit mean. Second service, I said it real conversational. But I said this. I said, I don't know what's about to happen, but whatever is about to happen, I know this. God is going to make a separation between those who want him and those who don't, those who seek him and those who just want to look like they seek him. About a week after that, there's a woman in our church that she understands the power and glory of God. And a lot of people say spiritual stuff. You have to earn respect and right and traction with me to get my ear. But this woman is a very much a woman of God. God uses her. She said, Pastor, I had a dream. In my dream, you went and you put a sign. There were people on our platform who were singing. And there were lights and everything. But, but they weren't our people. And then you put a sign on the church that said that we would not be having church for a while. And she was really disturbed when she shared this with me. Friends, I'm telling you right now, there, there wasn't any word of COVID out anywhere on this. She tells me this dream. She thought, Pastor, what I said to her, I said, listen, Charity, we're not going to have rock bands on the platform. Not that there's anything wrong with music. All truth is God's truth. And God gave us the gift of music. Some songs sing about God. Some songs lead us to sing to him. But I said, listen, I don't know what that means, but I know two things. One, I'm not going to shut the church down and I'm not going to start a con rock concert hall and, and we're going to stop having church. And lo and behold, take a look at this, friends. I walked out, and as I was hanging the sign and walking away from it, I thought about this woman's dream. And then the other day, we have opened up our church to other churches so that they could start doing what we're doing. And some of them have better equipment than we do and more people than we do, and they're all six feet apart. If you, if you look closely, they're abiding by social distancing. But that woman, let me tell you what, you're looking at this right now. That dream wasn't a bad thing. It was a good thing. And this is exactly what happened. Do you know what it is? To, to, do you know his power, friend? Have you seen his glory? You know what God did? He told our community ahead of time what was going to happen. Why? So that we could understand it. No, we had no idea what that meant. You know what that tells me? God's with us and we're going to be okay. And in fact, we took something that was bad and turned it, God turned it into something better and he multiplied it so that other churches are able to be the church in our church. And, and I can't wait until we get together. We'll, we'll merge all of those groups together for one amazing Psalm service where we'll praise God. And this is how you sing your way out of your depression and your despair. This is how you sing your way through the wilderness. David goes on, he says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Listen, the background to this psalm, David's son Absalom now begins to, to usurp him. He hires about 200 people to run before him. He was handsome and he looked like a young version of David, but his heart was so dark and so sinister, he was anything but his father. He was anything but a man after God's own heart. He, he manipulated the kingdom and he stole the throne from his father. And David and, a, and his group of follow loyal friends said, we need to leave or the people of this city will be killed and we ourselves will die at the sword of your son Absalom. And the sin of David with ruining a man's home and taking a, a man's wife that was done in private now in his own household, the sword rises up and he's trying to make his way through a wilderness of circumstances that he created. Friend, you might be walking through a dark hour in your life and the truth may be you're in it because of the consequences of things that you've done. 
So what does that mean, that God's left you? No, he is your God, and he wants you to behold his power. He doesn't want you to sing about, I deserve this. I should never expect to leave this place. Well, I hope that God will at least look at me. No, he loves you. He died for you. David had a way of saying, what I did, yes, I own that junk. But what I'm going to do from here forward is, is I'm not setting up a house in the wilderness. I'm going to begin to look up to the God whose house is the universe. And I'm going to say, I will fully be satisfied with the riches of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you and think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. You know what David knew how to do that you and I need to learn how to do? We need to learn how to sing hope like King David did. Just because you're in a desolate, dry and weary land, just because you're in a place because it's the momentum of bad decisions that you made does not mean that God has brought you there to leave you there, does not mean that God has left you and abandoned you. David was able to say, God, you're my God. I know I've seen you work. And then all of a sudden, what does he do? He takes his mouth and instead of complaining, some of us are expert psalmists of the complaint. There is no psalm called the grumbling psalm. There is no psalm called the, the, the gossip psalm or the slander psalm. No, the best and most beautiful psalms are the ones that take their eyes off of the problem and put them on the problem solver. And some of you, if I could just grab you and shake you and say some of the problem of why you're stuck in this place is because you need to take your eyes off of the problem and you need to start putting them on the power of God, on the presence of Jesus, on the power of the Holy Spirit and learn to sing like David did that there hope. God, listen, God's desire for your life is not to be a pessimist. And it's difficult if you want to live the life of an optimist, it means that you're ignoring reality. So some people say, I'm not a pessimist, I'm a realist. Listen, God doesn't want you to be a pessimist, an optimist, or a realist. He wants you to be a psalmist. He wants you to learn how to sing your way out of your situation, to praise your way out of your problems, and to lift up the name of Jesus in every and any situation. The Bible says this, in all things give thanks, encourage one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Friend, if you began to talk more to people about how good God was instead about how bad that person is. Maybe life would be a lot more beautiful and your dry seasons would be a lot shorter than they are. You see, because the truth of the matter is, is that sometimes problems come from the outside too. In David's situation, his son, his counselor, his commander all conspired against him. And David, here we see him subliminally talking about Joab, Hithphael, and his son Absalom. If you read chapters 13, 2 Samuel 13 to 16, you'll, you'll see this psalm come alive. He had a problem. People, those who want to kill me will be destroyed. Those, uh, they will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. Those are like wild wolves in the Middle East. But the king, here's what David says. He says, listen, I know I'm in a difficult spot and I'm probably part of my fault for being here, but that's not the point right now. And I know those people have created problems for me and what they've done is not right. But here goes that imprecatory kind of verse, right? God 
God bring justice. God, I'm not going to take things into my own hand. I'm going to let you handle that. But he gets it out of his system, right? He's, he's being a psalmist, and he's not hiding the reality of his situation. But then he ends and says, the king will rejoice in God. The king will rejoice in God. When was the last time you rejoiced in the Lord? I mean, that's a real fancy church talk, but it means that you are happy that God actually loves you, that your life could be much worse than it is, that if it's bad, that it's not necessarily going to have to stay this way. And, and maybe your situation has loss in it right now. You know what? I'm not asking you to ignore your problems, and I'm not asking for you to be a hopeless optimist, and I'm not asking you to be a pessimist or even a realist. I'm telling you, God wants you to become a psalmist. He wants to teach you the psalm of the wilderness, the psalm in the wilderness of Judea that does not let your problems dictate your song, that your quarantine doesn't determine the chorus that you sing, but that you would be able to sing beauty into your circumstances. I want to close where we started, actually, in the wilderness of Judea. There is a, a very unique plant that exists there that I have actually here in my hand. It's called the Jericho Rose. And if you read Isaiah chapter, chapter 30, I believe it is, 35, verses 1 through 10, it talks about the place that we're looking at right now. What's unique about this, I, I, I can't remember if my memory serves me correct, but I believe one of my friends who knows pretty much every amazing archaeologist in the Middle East said that one of these was found inside one of the pyramids. I could be wrong on that, but one thing I do know about this unique little plant is that it can survive dry and dead without water for a very, very long time. Sometimes my life feels like this. And to be honest with you, I don't think, I think some of you too, but to be honest with you, I don't think really the point is of the condition that we're in. I think the point is of if we're going to stay in that condition. See, because in the wilderness where, they, where these grow, the second that water hits it, that four inches a year that hits this desolate place, it opens. And in a matter of moments, it spits seed. And the wilderness that offers nothing but desolation, death, and dryness begins to blossom. And a place that was known for death, dry desolation, becomes a floral concert of beauty. And the wilderness blossoms. Friend, if Psalm 51 is the psalm that teaches us how to sing a song of repentance, Psalm 63 is God's way of helping you learn how to sing your way out of the prison of the problems, whether you created them, whether other people around you have forever. So those of you that are depressed right now and the situation that we're in right now is pretty, it's pretty bleak, it's difficult and it's challenging, but it's not gonna be like this forever. See, if you take your life, this is the lie of suicide. The world would be better without me. My pain would end. No, friend, you're gonna miss the moment that your life blooms in the wilderness, 
Don't do it. Call this church. Email us. Don't do it. Call our counselor. Don't do it. And here's the thing. Whenever somebody takes their life, it's because they were saying it inside here and inside here for years. It's time you psalm your way out of that sorrow. It doesn't matter that you're there because of bad choices you've made. That's why David was there. His son, his sword, his sorrow, his situation, that was his fault. But God wants you to learn how to praise your way through your problems because the way it is is not the way it's going to stay. God is your God. Behold his power and glory. Seek him. Sing to him. You need to get the Psalms. I have a suggestion for you. There's an app called Dwell. You need to download it and play it. It has music in the background and it reads the Bible. You need to choose Psalm 63 and hit repeat and let it loop over and over again. It's time to change your tune, friend. That's what I want to pray for you right now. Father, in Jesus' name, the time to sing a different song has come. You're putting a pen in our hand to begin to write on the page of our life, not based off of the blank space around us, not based on the blank spot within us, but upon the bold, powerful, amazing, eternal, almighty God over our life. And the minute that you put a foot in the wilderness, that which is lifeless blooms. I pray right now you would put your foot, you would put your hand, you would put your hug and your heart around the lives of those watching. And you would remind them that the reason Jesus died on the cross was not that we could leave him there, but that we could live our sin and shame there. And the reason you were put in a tomb was not so that we could sit there and get tomb service, but that we would walk out in newness of life and we would begin to bring hope and life through song and psalm. Make our life a living song of praise to what you can do and what you will do and that we would never get lost in the way things are, but we would always look forward in what they can be in you. Jesus, your presence changes everything. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you. Thank you so much. Thank you for attending our online services today. I encourage you to make a difference in the community throughout your week and in the lives of people with the message that you've heard today that you'd shine like a light to your family and to your communities this week. That is my prayer for you. If you want to stay up to date on everything we have going on, you can visit us at lowellag.org. Until then, we will see you next week. God bless.